0: laswitz and welcome to this week's episode of bat chat with matt and will a batman ranking podcast where each week my co-host will nevin and i dig into three batman stories discuss them and rank them on our big old list thus creating a giant list of batman stories from best to worst will how are you tonight
1: i got a question for you matt okay if you had to put me down what's your plan
0: ah well i think i would have to distract you with a fine bourbon and a stack of digital comics I suppose and then just (laughs) walk up behind you grab you by the neck and give it a quick twist you'd never see it coming
1: Ah, just like my daddy went out that's a good plan
0: I'm glad you approve
1: good plan I like it
0: so this week we're talking three stories of the world's finest enemies this is three stories of Batman versus Superman. We're starting off with a will request, which is Injustice, Gods Among Us, volume one. You're gonna to have to bear with me through the credits on this one, folks. It's a biggie. This is Injustice, Gods Among Us, volume one, numbers one to six. The writer is Tom Taylor. And here we go. The pencilers are Axel Jimenez, Mike S. Miller, Jeremy Rapach, Bruno Redondo, David Yarden and Tom Derenick. Inks by Diana Agea, Mike S. Miller, Jeremy Rappach, Bruno Redondo, David Yarden, Tom Derenick, Lebo Underwood, and Jonas Trindade. Colors by Andrew Elder, Alejandro Sanchez, David Lopez, and Santil Casas. Letters by Wes Abbott. And edited by Sarah Litt, Sarah Gatos, and Jim Chadwick. Uh, the print copies of this have a cover date of March 2013 through August 2013.
1: These were big a- shout out to Matt. Sorry for the interruption, yeah. but big shout out to Matt for the three takes it took to get through all of those credits. Persevering through all of those credits and editing the takes that didn't work in what you're going to listen to.
0: Believe me, you didn't want to go, go through that. The, the copy and pasting of all of those friggin' names. Yeah.
1: And uh, we'll get into that.
0: Yep. These were published digitally initially. This is actually the first 18 chapters of the digital comic, but I just went with the release dates on the physical for this one. This is a first for this show. This is a comic going into the episode that Will had read that I had not. Ooh. Because when this came out, I looked at this, and I was like, okay, Tom Taylor, I, I, he he's written, what, the some Star Wars Invasion? I don't even, I think this might have even been before a bunch of his Marvel work. I and mean, it wasn't bad Star Wars, but, it, you know, whatever. And it's a video game tie-in to a fighting game. Who, what, what's going to be anything good there? I've got enough comics that I read, so I passed on it. And by the time I, you know, people were like, oh my God, this is great. You couldn't find the early issues and back issue. They were too either... Not there because everybody felt like I did and nobody ordered copies. And the ones that were floating around were too damn expensive. So I eventually was like, I'll get the trade someday. And well, someday was this morning at Barnes & Noble. So (laughs) there we go.
1: You know, it's interesting that about the same time in the same digital first initiative that DC keeps starting and restarting, you had a Mortal Kombat 11 comic or maybe Mortal Kombat 10 that nobody ever talks about or even remembers that it happened. And this is basically the same thing. It's the tie-in to you know, a video game from NetherRealm. This is the same Mortal Kombat system, obviously with DC characters, and then a little nuts with the story here. And for some reason, uh, people loved it.
0: I'm now going to look this up as we speak, because I'm curious, did they get a creative team of a similar, or at least a writer of a similar pedigree on that Mortal Kombat series? Or was that just your usual sort of view of a video game tie-in where it was like, we're just gonna get whoever. Yeah, I mean, I don't recognize the writer's name, Sean Kittleson, but maybe that's someone involved in the video game itself. Dexter Soy on pencils, that's at least a name I recognize. But Injustice, I mean, Injustice lasted, what, five seasons, five series at least. And then that was just for the, I think, volume one. I think there were a couple of Injustice volume two series as well.
1: Yeah, there was a prequel. There was the sequel. It got a life of its own outside of the comics. Excuse me, outside of the video game.
0: And I got to say, it's good. Tom Taylor is a writer who... I generally like, I understand some of the criticism he gets for boiling very complex issues down to very simple sort of sound bitey things as he did in X-Men Red and as he's still doing every now and then in Nightwing and in Superman Son of Kal-El and occasionally being a bit tone deaf. But this series, these first six issues really work. There's some really affecting stuff. I mean, I'm curious to see where it goes.
1: I think you might be higher on your first read and I'm a bit lower on my second read. Fascinating.
0: That's possible. I mean, it, it's something where in first blush, it might work a little better. This is a very, very dark story.
1: Oh, 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 is it ever when you, anyone can die at any moment when anyone's basic moral center can shift and change you go in some dark places.
0: yeah there are some of these characters that I feel are written sort of exactly as you'd expect and there's a one or two that ring a little odd to me but I think we'll kind of get into that. Oh I didn't even do a I didn't do a summary did I? <laughs> Uh, I was so excited to read a new comic that I hadn't read, I forgot to do the summary. Uh, Let's just drop that in right now. I think also that giant list of creators completely threw me. Inspired by the video game, this tale of a brutal superhero civil war sees battle lines drawn between factions headed by Batman and Superman as the loss of all he loves sets the Man of Steel down a fascist path and Batman stands against him. So yeah, there's
1: that. That's a good ass summary right
0: there. Ah, thank you basically the joker tricks superman into killing lois lane which sets off a nuke that wipes out metropolis and superman breaks fascist that's the elevator pitch i suppose it reminds me of that line from the killing joke about all it takes is one bad day and this is superman's bad day
1: oh oh it's It's, it's real bad. It's, it's real bad. And we'll certainly get to, uh, to some striking similarities in our next story, but it's especially bad here for a couple of reasons. One, the story opens with a really impactful moment. Clark hears for the first time, the heartbeat of a new child, uh, his child growing inside Lois. And you know, he, he's gonna become a dad and he's excited and he's happy, and they have these these moments there in the first issue. Like he tells Bruce, and Bruce is like, Oh, I can I can tell uh, you're you're sweating and your hand is twitching, it never twitches, and also you're not scared, so it must be some good news. But yeah, you know, we have this convoluted plot, oh, it's scarecrow gas laced with kryptonite, which is then able to get into Superman system. And he sees Doomsday, but it's really Lois and their unborn child, and he kills them. And that sets off a nuclear device in Metropolis, which thereby wipes out Metropolis. The guilt of millions weighing on you, and not just those millions, but your wife and unborn child. That's going to make the best man break bad. This does work in that respect. Anything
0: less, and it would have been like, he's Superman. He's not going to do that. But the Joker knew what button to push metaphorically, and I suppose literally. And one thing, since we don't get much of her, and there won't be much to talk about after, Taylor hits Lois's voice perfectly. I want more tom taylor written lois than the little bit we're getting in son of kal-el because he really gets that brassy you know i'm not gonna take any guff from you smallville but i love you attitude down pat
1: i get to throw a book at you if i want to you're invulnerable
0: right it's a gr- it's a great moment it kills you to watch clark just break like that and joker reveling and i love joker's answer when bruce is like why did you do this and joker's just like i'm tired of losing and i thought i could beat him this was joker again attempting to prove that all it takes is one bad day and in this case he does and in this case he pays for it by getting his heart physically
1: ripped from his body uh joker bones not made out of kryptonite and and this is an interesting study in format and editing and these things that just sort of fascinate me when you look at a digital first book. So as Matt talked about, this is 18 chapters all split together in six issues come out in one trade. I think the trade break is okay. There are some issue breaks that don't really work. There are some chapters that don't really work. Like the Catwoman chapter just kind of comes out of nowhere toward the end. But if this was in a standard issue, Joker getting a new hole would be a beautiful splash page. But in this, because we're taking all of these digital pages and we're smushing them together, it gets the lower third of a page and it's it's really interesting to see the trade-offs you get with a digital first book and dc's approach
0: yeah and i don't know if there's a better solution short of doing full-size pages which could be fine or the big scroll the webtoons answer but that presents problems often for formatting in print so
1: You would just have to get people, and this is after DC has once again given up on a digital first initiative. You would have to get people accustomed to getting seven or eight full pages for a dollar, right? Isn't that about right? When one of those digital chapters runs about, we'll say 15 or 16 half pages.
0: Sounds right. I mean, uh, th- they came out roughly a little larger than a standard issue. And when you think f- uh, right now, you get 20 pages for four bucks. So that's five pages to the dollar. If you could get seven pages of the dollar doing digital first, it actually is a better deal.
1: Anyway, something yeah. for DC to think about the next time they want to do this and don't want to have to cut up their pages in the same way every time
0: we are a, a batman podcast so we will deal with the batman specific stuff because that's there's a, there's a good amount of batman in this first six issues but the one thing that i wanted to talk about and the one character that really struck me as not entirely sure how i felt about how this character was presented is wonder woman
1: Yes, Wonder Woman, I would... Look, I got an answer for you, and Wonder Woman's not good here. Yeah, between her leaning
0: so heavily into the warrior aspect of the character, her manipulating Clark, and also her having what feel like real ulterior motives when it came to you know, manipulating Clark to eventually be her mate. That seemed to be implied in a, in a scene with Ares. It's like, this isn't Wonder Woman.
1: Yeah, Wonder Woman aspiring to be a courtesan. Like, it's not, it's not good.
0: I mean, her power levels are high. She's, she's Superman's equal in this book. That I like. But th- that's about it. I don't feel like Taylor got Wonder Woman correct.
1: No, Wonder Woman should never say or never think, I have always wanted Superman to act this way, right? This is not what a hero does. This is not what an Amazonian does. Her basic principle should be one of you know, non-interference. And this is where Superman breaks down and says, well, we're going to run things now. Wonder Woman should not stand next to him and say, yes, this is what we should have been doing all along. It's what I've always wanted to do. I'm so happy.
0: If I'd thought about it, we would have done this, the second story, and then Mark Wade's Kingdom Come, which is another story that I feel like Injustice borrowed some stuff from, because that's another story where Superman and Wonder Woman team up. But there, it's it's a much more specific sort of anti-supervillain thing. It's not a take over the world shtick, but still some of the other heroes siding with them don't strike me as the heroes who would I don't see Barry Allen working with them and we start to see hints of that in his chapter in this first trade that Barry is already starting to have doubts but he's such a straight arrow I can't see him siding with what is clearly a fascist
1: state Wonder Woman doesn't doesn't work well here. Another character who goes fashy with a little less, I guess, surprise. Damien doesn't have a lot in this in this volume, but I guess I like him a little bit more here than his traditional you know, I'm a brat. It reads a little bit better, although again, he's too eager to side with Superman, I think. What else?
0: Since you brought up Damien, let's kind of swing into the bat family. Sure because there is some really good Batman material here. Bruce's confrontation and conversations with Clark are really strong. And there are a couple of absolutely heartrending moments. And I know there's going to be more Alfred as we go. And Taylor writes a great Alfred.
1: Perfect. Alfred has two moments and they're... Both excellent.
0: The first one being is is Clark is leaving the bat cave. Alfred says something about, you know, I thought you'd be staying for tea, Master Kent. And Clark's like, well, you you don't have to call me master. And Alfred's, good, let's remember that. Damn right, Alfred. Oh, that crisp Alfred. And then the other we'll get to in a second. But before that, in that same scene, when Clark comes to the bat cave and is trying to convince Bruce to join him and Bruce is having none of it, And it's partially that Bruce says, you know, you need to be better than us. And also because Superman had just brutally murdered the Joker in front of him. But Clark has this moment after he's been accusing Bruce of missing the Joker and missing that game that the two of them would play. And telling, you know, why did you let him live? And eventually he just shouts, why did you let him do this to me, Bruce? You just kind of freeze with that. Because this is just the rage of a man broken.
1: And- I think suggesting that they had love for each other was a bit too far, like yes. a bit too too sour of a note. But overall, the emotion in that scene, very, very on point.
0: And Bruce giving what is usually the argument that is given when Bruce is trying to justify or explain why he doesn't just kill the joker and it's that it always starts with one and once you've justified killing that one person it gets easier and easier every time and you can make various arguments about whether or not that is a spurious point but there is a level of validity to that
1: slippery slope arguments aren't good unless they are and we see this in this story and in the next one Yes, we can all agree that nuclear weapons are a bad idea. Yeah, we saw this in Superman four Quest for Peace. Let's let's rid the world of nuclear weapons. Yeah, you know, we can mostly be on board with that unless you're hell bent on mutually assured destruction. Okay, then what comes next? Let let's say that today Superman was real. He would you know, let's say march into Ukraine and Bundle up all of the Russian soldiers and gently drop them back into Russia. You know, we have clearly one side is an aggressor invading in another sovereign democratic territory just for for whatever reason in Vladimir Putin's mind. Okay, that's fairly easy. What about India and Pakistan? Generational feuds and eventually you get to intractable problems. You've got a guy who says, it's going to be my way, and this is the way it is, and we're going to make it my way. And that's what we see in both this story and the next. We see these incremental steps toward a fascist dictatorship. And yet they both start with nuclear disarmament. They both start from a place where everyone can agree, where Superman can still cloak himself in righteousness. But at the end stage, it's something that no one ever wanted. Probably not even Superman himself. No, but he's,
0: he's gone down the path. And once you've gone that far, you can't come back.
1: He's irredeemable.
0: Speaking of characters who go too far. Uh, yeah, Damien kills Nightwing.
1: That was a moment that I really enjoyed is the wrong word. But and this, this plays out in the next volume, obviously. But it was truly an accident. Damien had allied with Superman as he is rounding up all of the Arkham inmates and sending them to the Phantom Zone, question mark, wherever the cornfield. And Damien just basically throws one of the combat
0: sticks. screamer They're yeah. Eskrima fighting sticks. At least that's yeah. what Nightwing
1: uses. So I assume that's what he was training Damien on. It hits Nightwing in just the right spot. He falls backward and breaks his neck and dies. Truly a tragic accident, and Damien is going to suffer greatly for it, both emotionally and, I suppose, physically. It's, although it's been a while since I've read that second volume. And could you imagine Bruce being in that spot? You have your actual son who kills your adopted son while everything else is fallen to pieces around you, right? this is going to hang over the rest of the story. And it's a, it's a good moment.
0: Absolutely. And the fallout, you are correct from what you said before that the Catwoman chapter, just Catwoman sort of appearing out of nowhere is odd, but then you get this scene where she goes to Wayne Manor and she finds Alfred, Clearly he's been drinking and he's he tries to get up and do that Alfred thing. And she's like, no, I'm here to take care of you this time. And then she goes down and finds Bruce in the cave, punching his hands raw and she just comforts him. It's a very well-written Selina and it's a really great scene.
1: So I think we've danced around this a little bit, or maybe I've just danced around it in my brain. The art is shit.
0: Yes, <laughs> the art you know what there are a couple amongst that litany of artists there are a few really good artists however you can't tell one from the other because there are some chapters some like little eight page chapters that don't have the same artists
1: i don't know what the production schedule must have been for this but it must have been hell it's just it's just like The number of artists on this book and the quality of the art just really, really suffers, especially apparent when you read the thing in trade. It's jarring. Incredibly so. Damien. Some artists draw him
0: like he's, you know, Damien is usually drawn this 13 year old little pipsqueak. Sometimes I thought it was Tim Drake.
1: Yeah, it had very much of a Red Robin vibe.
0: Yeah, I was really like, where why is what's Tim doing here? Oh no, that's just Damien drawn to look like Tim. That's not at all confusing. And listen, I don't know how they hold up in the video game because I haven't played the game, but the costume designs not great. They're really armory in some cases, which doesn't work. And some of them are just. Just, I'm not a fan. Not a fan of Harley's look. I, I think the Flash should never wear armor. He's a runner.
1: It's too chunky. Spandex, man. Yeah. But yeah, from what I remember of the game, like collecting and changing armor was was like a feature you go around and like upgrade your suit and whatnot so i think that's part of it i think that leans heavily into it especially when you're looking at someone like batman like it looks more like an iron man suit than batman
0: absolutely there were also i felt like a couple of missed opportunities in here i wish that the Aquaman stuff had been a little less ham fisted with Aquaman just coming up and admitted like, yep, I own 70% of the world. So fuck you, surface dwellers. It would have been better if he had come to Clark first and said, listen, I see what you're doing. We need to have a conversation and or gone to Diana and said, you need to get me a conversation with him. And Diana avoiding like she does here, not avoiding it a uh, Ignoring it or hiding.
1: And then uh, taking Atlantis to the Sahara seems like an overreaction.
0: <laughs> also, there's a scene towards the beginning where the US is trying to carry out a drone strike and Superman gets in the middle of it. And there's this general who's giving a briefing to the president. Dude looked a hell of a lot like Sam Lane. And I thought it was going to be Sam Lane, Lois's father. And I thought, oh, that's going to be interesting. But no, he was just some general who was, I mean, Sam Lane is a pretty generic looking, you know, square jawed, buzz cut general kind of guy. But that would have been a really interesting interaction to see, you know, the head of the government's anti superhero thing now be the father of the woman who died in Metropolis at Superman's hands. There was would have been a lot of potential there. And I it was all running through my head. I was like, oh, no, he's just some guy who looks like Sam Lane.
1: Some friggin' guy. And I like how in both of our, our main stories tonight, the U.S. president is just basically either an idiot or a doofus. I, and, I, and I liked hear, uh you know, Bruce telling the president. What's your fucking like game here, right? There's nothing stopping him from coming after you. Nobody's gonna look for your body on Jupiter. What is it? The wire when uh, when one of the characters turns to another. So, like, are you writing down notes for a criminal conspiracy? This is. Are you really? Are you? Do you know what you're doing here, Mister President?
0: Also, in that in Batman Year Three, where you know they just let Tony Zuko write everything down. <laughs> what the hell? Why did you guys not say, huh? You know, maybe we shouldn't be letting this guy write all this shit down.
1: A gangster's diary is always admissible as evidence in a Gotham court of law.
0: The Gotham court of law takes a guy who wears a bat costume at his word. You, you, you gotta you know, take it or leave it there. So do you have anything else?
1: I thought the coloring was especially terrible when that with that scene with the president. It was yeah. real bad.
0: The coloring here is muddy. It's supposed to be a dark book but it's exceedingly dark to the point where you don't necessarily always make out all of the action.
1: Pencils aren't great. Inks are bad. And especially that coloring, that one scene was was not bad. But uh, this is really on editorial. Like I do not think they believed this book was going to be as successful as it turned out to be. No. Like everyone else in the world.
0: <laughs> no, this was a video game tie-in. Nobody pays attention to these things
1: oh shit they liked it
0: fuck fuck now we got to do something
1: well all right i'm done
0: okay then i think
1: it's time to put in justice gods among us volume one on the big board
0: we currently have 105 stories on our big list number one is batman year one from batman volume one numbers 404 to 407 Number 25 is No Law and a New Order, the first arc of the year-long No Man's Land story. Number 50 is Trust from Detective Comics, Volume 1, numbers 833 to 834.
1: At 69, it's Batman Overdrive for the children.
0: Nice. Number 75 is Batman, Son of the Demon. And down at the bottom, bring it up the rear, remains... Batman White Knights. If this had had more consistent art, this would have been top third, maybe? Yeah, I think that's fair. But it doesn't have more consistent art. It, in oh, fact, it does not. Is wildly inconsistent art to the point that it is actively distracting. That puts it down at least in the 50s if not in the
1: 60s does it strike anything emotionally poignant as that one good issue and super heavy at 57
0: not as consistently that issue has a lot to say. And also there's the Alfred stuff in that story. The, you know, looking at his son happy for the first time. That is really affecting. Now, down at 61 is the first arc of I Am Batman, another book with wildly inconsistent art of incredibly uh, varying quality.
1: It's more action in here, but I think the art is just about the same quality. I do feel like we're in the in the right area between super heavy Batman Judge Dread, I am Batman. So I think I think we've we've got this pretty well zeroed in. Yeah, just where specifically?
0: So sixty is favorite things that Legends of the Dark Knight Christmas issue, where Batman takes a train back from a family.
1: Let it go, Bruce. Let it go. It's just a thing. The memories you'll always have.
0: Above that is the Gotham Villains 80th Anniversary Giant. That is actually probably more consistent, despite it being a bunch of different stories. The quality of what they brought in that book was more consistent than this. 60? Yeah, I think this is 60. Our second story for the night is Execution 2001. This is the Superman Volume 2 Annual Number 3. The writer is Dan Jurgens, with pencils by Dusty Abel. Inks by Terry Austin, John Beatty, Dick Giordano, and Dennis Janke Colors by Glenn Whitmore. Letters by John Costanza. Edited by Mike Carlin and Dan Thorsland. Cover date of May of 1991. The time traveler, Wave Rider, is granted a vision of the future where Superman, driven by despair, does what he thinks is best for the world, drawing the ire of the government and setting him on a collision course with Batman.
1: Questions. Yes. One, was this a year of annuals in which we tried to figure out who's going to be Monarch?
0: Yes. That That is my first note, is to go over the annual event of this year, which was called Armageddon 2001. Good. Pleasant for me, it was the first crossover I ever read. That Armageddon 2001, first bookend, this is the second part of the crossover. This came right out of Armageddon 2001, number one. Basically, that book picks up in the, you know, a little further down the line than 2001, 2040, I think. And the scientist, Matthew Ryder, who's working for Monarch and is involved in time travel experiments, wants to go back in time and stop Monarch. He gets blasted with chronal energy, becomes Wave Rider, this energy being. And he basically spends that year's annuals going from hero to hero, touching them to find out what their future would be and figure out which one of them is Monarch. So, here's a really fun bit of comic book historical trivia. Ooh! The original plan for Monarch was that Monarch was going to be Captain Adam. Which makes sense. Incredibly powerful hero, militaristic to begin with, has the eye color that you see the blue eyes that you see through monarch's helmet made perfect sense until shortly before that book was put to bed the second bookend armageddon 2001 number two somebody leaked it and so to maintain some kind of mystery dc went and changed who monarch was
1: lame Yep,
0: they changed it to Hawk of Hawk and Dove, because Hawk and Dove had just been canceled. And so they figured, well, nobody's using him, except Hawk has a different eye color, is actually an agent of chaos. The whole point is Dove is an agent of order and Hawk is an agent of chaos. It, it made little to no sense. And they still had to take Captain Adam off the board. So the two of them wound up having this weird time hopping adventure after the series. And for years, they kept trying to find ways to get Hawk out of that and get Captain Adam back into the Monarch armor. And it was just really weird and really awkward. And mostly because somebody couldn't keep their mouth shut. The next annual, and we'll probably do both of these at some point, is the Batman annual for that year. And you do see different versions of the future because there's a Batman and a detective annual and there's three Superman annuals. So there are alterations to the time stream that Wave Rider kind of keeps coming back to some of the more prominent heroes. The most significant of these Armageddon 2001 annuals is uh, the Flash annual as it's Mark Wade's first Flash story before his massive, I think, seven-year run on the Flash. So that's a cool little fact. But into this particular story, there's an eerie similarity between this and Injustice, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I believe uh, somebody somewhere cribs some notes.
0: Yeah, because basically Intergang is trying to blackmail Metropolis with a loose nuke and it goes off. Why Intergang, who has access to you know technology, weapons, etc. from Apocalypse is using boring old generic Earth nukes is kind of beyond me, but eh, I guess... Hey, it takes
1: a whole lot of parademons to take out a city. That is a good point. One H-bomb, thousands of parademons.
0: Yeah, true. And this is where I actually had the very specific note about the similarity to Superman 4. Because basically in this book, Superman decides, okay, never again. I am going to just disarm the Earth. And every time he tries, somebody tries to make more nukes. And so he's pissing off governments left, right, and center.
1: There were also submarines in both stories, too. There were. More critically in this.
0: Yes. And that, that was one of the things that I haven't read this story in a number of years. And so I remembered it, not every little detail of it. And it did bug me that Clark didn't think, boy, this is a not just a nuclear bearing sub, but a nuclear powered sub. There's probably a lot of lead in there. But as you see how far he's slipped mentally by the end, it's like, okay, that isn't this story's you know single gimme. It's single, okay, I'm going to just ignore this to make the story work moment.
1: But also coming fresh out of, you know, the Reagan era and distrust of the government, you could easily read that story and believe, oh, this is the U.S. president trying to run something on Superman, trying to cook up this phony baloney story and turn public opinion against him. Oh, yeah. I mean, like Superman's Gulf of Tonkin, basically.
0: I like that. By the end of this story, Clark is seriously dissociated. Superman and Clark Kent are talking about each other as if they're not the same person.
1: And in Justice, he really has no doesn't have a reason to be Clark anymore. You know, even though his parents are weaponized and used against him, he still has that connection with with Metropolis gone here. He remarries. And just to give him that extra bit of sadness and extra bit of stress, poor Mark Kent has Alzheimer's.
0: Yeah, that one's that was was rough. That was just kind of like, oh, you didn't that's just kind of turning the screws a little
1: uh he's already dead
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly meanwhile the government as they do an injustice go to batman to be like uh yeah we kind of need you to take care of this and here at least bruce and this is like you know fuck you mr president but by the end clark goes too far so i have a question for you will Uh, Yes, sir. I was just editing our Batman Earth One Untold Legend of the Batman My Beginnings and My Probable End episode. The death of the Martian Manhunter in this story. Is that felony homicide?
1: Uh, Felony murder.
0: Felony murder. Excuse me. Felony murder. Uh,
1: Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. So what is Superman doing at the time? What is the underlying criminal offense that he's engaged in?
0: Well, he... Was asked by duly deputized government agents, in this case, the Justice League, who who were chartered by the United Nations to come in and face the consequences of what he's done. And he is resisting arrest, basically.
1: You know, I have not I have not seen a case where it's basically you resisted arrest assaulted an officer and the officer had a heart attack. That might just be like straight up uh, actual murder. You know, we had this whole discussion when the, when that police officer died after the uh, insurrection, you know, what caused his death was there proximate cause between the assault that he faced at the hands of the rioters and his death. Unfortunately, there was no proximate cause. Unfortunately, if you're looking to charge those uh, dinguses with murder, but here I think, think, yeah, had it not been for the fire, Johns would not have had a heart attack. Yeah, I'd try for murder charge. Might not work. There we go. Another legal lesson from Bat Chat. Uh I think he's definitely on the hook for the felony murder in uh, sinking the sub. Mm. That's, uh, That's an inherently dangerous activity. That was a crime. That was definitely a felony. And uh, those people died unintentionally as a result. So, yeah, he's looking at some charges, Matt.
0: I like how Bruce really resists being involved in this. He, He really doesn't want to work with the government on this one. But in the end, Clark just goes too far too many times.
1: And it's a good contrast to Superman, who always seems like he's willing to work with the government.
0: Yeah. And we'll get to the end right now and then maybe circle back to some of the other details. The end of this is an obvious inverse of Dark Knight Returns. I mean It's in Crime Alley. Batman is wearing armor similar to the Dark Knight armor. This was intentionally an homage. But what you got to realize is that this is 1991. This is five, six years removed from Dark Knight. That wasn't the begin all and end all. This might've been the first major homage to Dark Knight. And Martha. Well, hey, the end of this,
1: much better than Martha. uh, Look, anything is going to be better than that,
0: okay? Let's be (laughs) clear. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm not arguing that point. But I noted it earlier. Clark with Lionel Lang, who's his second wife, never says he loves her. Towards the end, she says, I love you, Clark. And he says, me too, hon. He doesn't say I love you back.
1: That was an, a very good point in the narration uh, where Wave Rider says his second marriage is not for love. It's for need. And then as he dies, the
0: last his last word as the kryptonite that Bruce has the kryptonite ring that Clark gave him all those years ago in comic book time and not all those years ago in real time because that was a story that we will eventually cover, The Dark Knight Over Metropolis. His last word is Lois. He never got over Lois. That is the telling thing. In Kingdom Come and the other story that has a similar set of beats, it's the Joker killing Lois Lane that makes Clark just quit when in that story someone else kills the Joker because he won't do it and they get lauded as a hero and he's just like I'm done the death of Lois Lane is the thing that will always break Superman in one way or the
1: other this might be the only I'll I'll say two nice things about Zack Snyder One is I always thought in Batman versus Superman. And of course, having mentioned that I had the very darkest idea that one day we're going to have to watch that for a bonus episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know, I know, but the nightmare sequence in which Batman uses a gun, I thought that was absolutely always on point because truly Batman using a gun is his nightmare. So I thought that was always a smart moment. And I would have been interested to see what he did with this thread, this thread of if Superman loses Lois, what happens? Because he is certainly more suited to dark, you know, than, uh, than I don't know, anything else he tried to do. Yes. I also
0: think, and this actually works in this story a little more than it would have worked in Injustice, but it would have been fine. It would have been very easy for a writer to be like, okay, you know, Superman has disarmed the world and it's the Russians who are, you know, really trying to build up their arsenal again. And, you know, they're the bad guys. But no, it's the U.S. It's very obviously the U.S. here who are the bad guys.
1: Uh, could you imagine the, the nonsense on Fox News if DC tried to put out something like this today? Oh, my, my God. Oh, my Christ. It would be days of coverage.
0: Yeah. Oh, I just, I cringe. I cringe at the mere thought of it. There isn't a ton of Batman in this this particular story, but I mean, Juergens is a, a fine, I mean, this is Dan Juergens who wrote Superman for a, a long, long time. This is one of his earlier Superman stories. He produces a very consistently solid superhero story. And this hits all the notes of a consistent, fine superhero story. With just a kind little bit. always
1: what I think of when I think of Williamson. Mm. Just kind of a guy.
0: I, have you ever read any of Williamson's non-superhero stuff, his horror stuff out of image?
1: Oh, what is that? Is that Nailbiter? Nailbiter. I started on that. It seemed like an interesting concept, but I never I never got too deep into it.
0: I love Nail Nailbiter, Ghosted, and Birthright are his three image series, and they're all great. Uh, I mean, each one has a real some real a real nice hook to it at different points. And I mean, part of that with Nailbiter is the art because it has one of the greatest page turns in a horror comic I have ever seen. And I don't want to say what it is because you need to but you'll know the page turn when you see it. And it is just like, oh, God, I, I don't. I, I, do you have anything else?
1: I don't have anything else, so that means it's time to put Superman Annual Number Three, Armageddon Two Thousand and One, on the big board. I mean, this isn't better than Injustice, I don't think. It's got more consistent art, despite all those anchors though. It's got a, it's got a solid story. It does, right? I've, I've. I mean, I loved not being able to trust the president, but then also at the end, that reveal of, okay, I was a super, it was a sub with lead. Those boys did actually go to a watery grave. Thanks to soups. Like that was a, that was a nice little story. And I, I enjoyed the the final scenes and, mm-hmm. you know, basically putting Superman down with dignity and, and understanding that, oh, this is, this is a sad moment. I
0: don't think if it, if we put it above injustice, I don't think it's much higher than injustice.
1: Um, okay, so injustice is currently at sixty. Okay, at fifty-seven, we've got super heavy. Fifty-six, we got win in Rome. Fifty-five, secret of the waiting graves.
0: All right, I can see it going around there. I mean, secret of the waiting graves is another one of these stories that I that I like to call it's a trifle. There's nothing weighty about it. It's just, it's a a well-crafted story and it's the first Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Batman story, but it's not anything particularly resonant in it. Speaking of those, we're going to get to one of those in a moment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's a good, it's a good way to close out the, uh, the episode with a, with a wee trifle. Oh yeah. Um, Tell me what's the highest you're willing to go. Cause I, I enjoyed this. This is a real page turner for me. I don't think it goes above, I wouldn't
0: put it, definitely not above the post-crisis origin of Jason Todd at 49.
1: Okay. Okay. I can, I was thinking you were going to say 45, but I'll I can work with 49. Um, I mean, I just think, I mean, looking at 45, 45 is the
0: doomsday book. I think, I, 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 as I, said, I think post-crisis origin of Jason Todd also has some good material. It has good material for that that core of an emotion with Jason and especially in the second half, dealing with his anger about his father's death at two faces, hands and dealing with that. Max Allen Collins, solid work. Absolutely. Below that is trust, which is that Batman's and Zatanna versus the Joker story.
1: Oh, and who wrote that one? Yeah, it's Paul Dini. Huh. It's got
0: Zatanna in it.
1: Odds huh. are Weird. I feel like we just did Superman 76.
0: That's the,
1: the, the first
0: Batman Superman story. Ah, the origin of the Batman Superman. team. The one with the bullets with the diamonds in them and Bruce and Clark not wanting to say we don't want to sleep in the same room because that would be suspicious.
1: Yeah, Our Lord. highest golden
0: age story right now.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Oof. What do you like about Robin annual number four at 54?
0: I could definitely put this above Robin annual number uh, Robin annual four. That's just the retelling of Dick's origin. It adds the thing with the ringmaster, So it gives it a little bit of more personal stakes for Dick, but this is definitely, I can definitely put this above that.
1: What about going sane at 52? I, I know I'm jumping around a little no, bit, but I'm just try- I'm trying to pick your brain, yeah. see what you're thinking. I love going sane.
0: I understand there's some problematic elements to it. But that's a story. That's one of those ones that sticks with you. You know, you read it at one point and you always remember it. But so I'm trying to also deal with my own, that particular bias, which I I continue to fight when it comes to things like, oh, I don't know.
1: Blades. The Ballad of Joe Care. All right. What do you say that we make this the new 53 then?
0: Yes. Yes. In between Going Sane and Mightiest Team of the World. Absolutely. I think that is a good spot for it. I have a soft spot for Armageddon 2001 anyway, so. And now, our final story of the night. <laughs> Superman's Secret Kingdom. This is World's Finest Comics number 111. The writer is Bill Finger with pencils by Dick Sprang and inks by Sheldon Maldorf. Edited by Jack Schiff with a cover date of August of 1960. Batman and Robin traveled to South America in search of a missing Superman, only to find him amnesiac and ruling a lost civilization. Oh, the Silver Age! Oh, uh, the Silver Age!
1: Let me let me double check some things real quick. Uh, you said 1960, yes, and Bill Finger, yes. Uh, he wrote for a long, long fucking time.
0: Yes, he did. He he kept working because you know no other way to make money. This is a oh boy. I mean, we're going to be honest with you, everybody. There's, this is not going to be one of our longer segments because this is 13 pages of just sheer Silver Age nonsense with not a ton of meat on these bones. This is the trifliest of trifles. And I wanted to pick something from the Silver Age with Superman and Batman fighting. and Because I, I know there's a ton of these ridiculous world's finest where Superman and Batman have some sort of misunderstanding or something happens and they have to fight. And I just got to pick this one at random. And it's a pretty good example of that. And, you know, it's offensive, but it could have been a lot more offensive, maybe? Question mark?
1: Superman's not in blackface.
0: Very true. And the the South American indigenous folk are awful white. But I'm not sure if that's better or worse than making them, you know, whatever the 60s would have attempted to do to make them look like legitimate indigenous people of South America.
1: So let's uh, let's hit the story beats here. Superman is flying over a volcano for
0: reasons. He's looking for an escaped criminal. He's looking for the Frisbee guy, Floyd Frisbee. Uh,
1: Of course. And the volcano explodes.
0: He tries to divert the explosion using, I quote, in quotes here, super pressure as opposed to regular pressure. Because it's the Silver Age and anything Superman does is super.
1: Super. Uh, And it explodes. The concussive force gives him amnesia. The local tribe, the undiscovered tribe, finds him. He is, to them, a legend foretold, and he will rebuild their crumbling pyramids, which he does because he just can. And then Batman and Robin come looking for said mobster, who is convinced that the volcano killed Superman, which is always a bold guess, thinking that Superman is dead. And um, shenanigans ensue.
0: I and mean, Robin, they're looking for Superman. They're not looking for, ah. for Floyd because Superman had disappeared, as had Clark Kent. And they're like, boy, somebody might figure out that Clark Kent is Superman if they both disappear at the same time. We better find him. And then there's a whole series of misunderstandings where Frisbee follows them into these impenetrable jungles. And it's a lot of nonsense. <laughs>
1: Not Comedy of manners, really.
0: Yeah. And I'm not saying that nonsense in a bad way, but it's all just some weird stuff.
1: But thank God Robin took those art lessons.
0: Right. Robin, who also, the minute he sees the indigenous people, he just starts punching. And Batman's like, wait. And he's like, no, but like, damn it, Robin. Don't punch first and ask questions later. And then
1: we can't bring the word of the Lord to these heathen people. If you're going to beat them,
0: oh. and They do. we keep, can't
1: colonize them if they're dead.
0: And they do keep saying Indians over and over again, which is like, ooh. but again, that's 2022 looking back on a story written in 1960. And Superman sitting in his costume with this faux indigenous person's headdress on. That's not great. Or Batman dressing as one of their gods. Also not great. Also not great.
1: But thank God for those art lessons.
0: The art lessons. That is a great moment. And then Robin, like, boy, I better paint over this in case anybody ever, you know, stumbles across. Like, who's going to stumble across it? Nobody's ever found this village before. You're going to take Frisbee back with you. Or why don't you just leave him? Leave him with these people. They're not going to let him go. His name is Frisbee. Isn't that punishment enough? (laughs) <laughs> and yes, the fact that there was an explosion, he's like, oh, that probably killed Superman. It's like, you do realize he's Superman, right? Just saying.
1: Again, believe him to be dead at your own peril.
0: Yeah. This is actually our first story with art by Dick Sprang. Sprang is one of the definitive late golden age, or actually all through the golden age, Batman artists. He's the guy who legendarily drew all of those crazy props and things. The, you know, the big typewriters and all those things all over Gotham. So he's got a much more animated style than a lot of those stiffer golden age artists. So it's a fun looking book. There's a couple of weird faces here and there. And some of the language is not quite in English Spanish that you can get when someone who's trying to write South America writes it poorly. But
1: what trade do you think this popped up in for it to have been digitally recolored
0: you know i there's probably an omnibus of this stuff because the only place i had read this before was in a showcase so that was a, a decolored version so i i was surprised at how clean the colors were on this that as you said it's it was a digitally remastered look we're, we're kind of stretching here because there's really not a lot to say about this story. A lot of these short golden age stories are going to be, you know, hey, so that happened. Some of them are going to be really completely insane or really completely offensive. And that will give us more to deal with. But so much of this is tropey. You know, head trauma, giving amnesia, the lost tribe. I mean, again, it's not not offensive because there are some really like, Really, you're doing that, but it's not—it's not the Dark Knights.
1: Uh, no, no, it is not. And it's, uh, it's—it's curious that they didn't find a way to shoehorn Lois into the story, like Lois straight through the jungle and uh, wondering where Clark was, and she finds Superman. And man, that would have been fun. That would have been they, fun.
0: They have to find some way to prove that Clark has actually been in a hotel with dysentery this entire time. Oh, Lois, I wasn't feeling well. That's where I've been. Couldn't even get out of bed. I did like that the thing that finally gets his memory back are images of him as Clark Kent. That's actually a a nice little moment to establish, you know, just what he feels about himself, which is probably me reading too much into it. But I like it.
1: It was complicated. You think you could have just sat there with with Superman said, look, you're not a god. You're just a guy. Your name is Clark, and you're a hero. You're an inspiration to all people, not just these people.
0: So it's time to come back and drag this asshole with us.
1: And yes, actually, it. if you could, if you could just like carry us too, because uh, you know we're kind of deep here in the jungle.
0: I really don't want to walk pa- back past the the biggest alligators we've ever seen again, or that jaguar that I had to bunk on the nose. They give some important and, jungle survival tips,
1: and 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 Robin won't stop drinking river water. He's gonna he's gonna get dysentery.
0: <laughs> you know, the dysentery, yeah, I, I got I got nothing else on this one. This one's just this was just a wacky late golden early silver age story. W- Want to just do it?
1: It's time to put world's fist one eleven on the big board.
0: I mean, this is going to go down towards the bottom, not because it's bad, but because there's not much there. So it's not going to go into that like lowest of echelons. The oh god, why did we have to read this story? Story. This
1: puts it exactly in the nineties. Yeah, because that that's our that's our section of it wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible either.
0: Yeah. So at number 90 is your face is your fortune. Uh, the other golden age, another golden age story, the Catwoman story from Batman uh, number 15. I think there was more to that story. I mean, some of it was kind of cringy with the way Catwoman and Linda Page were written. But at the same time, there was more story there.
1: Yeah, there was, there was more there, there. There was literally more pages. This, is, this suffers because it's, as, as you're so fond of saying, a trifle, and it is a trifling trifle. It's so short.
0: Okay. So I think, all right, here's a question. Right, here's a, here's a point. 94 days of rage. That's that Huntress story with the all sorts of uncomfortable eighties urban decay, quote unquote, stereotypes. I would put this above that.
1: I sure would.
0: Then master of the future is 93. This does not go above 92, Robin the Boy Wonder. That might be shorter than this, but they pack a lot into those eight pages.
1: And we had that that sacred vow by candlelight.
0: Yes. So this is either going to be our new 93 or our new 94. Is this better or worse than Master of the Future?
1: It's probably more Batman in this. Yes, Uh,
0: you read my mind.
1: (laughs) New 93 it is.
0: 93. That does it for the night. Next week, Jason Todd tier backer, Sam Hopper chooses kindness and gives us an episode of true joy. Three stories by the man, the myth, the legend, the auteur himself, Darwin Cook.
1: God bless you, Sam.
0: Yep. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grote, June, Conduit of Outdated Joke Names.
1: That's a mouthful, June.
0: Joshua Wheel, Abigail Hartbaum, Asimov Fangirl. Tony Thornley, Sam Hopper, Kyle Still, and Christian Smith for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Bat Chat Comics, and The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon Music slash Audible, and on ComicsXF.com, where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon, where you can get shoutouts, bonus content, big a story, and even come on the show. you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three Cs, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013.
1: And I'm at Will Nevin, and I'm also out of here. Good night, Atlanta. And be sure to visit Comics XF at
0: comicsxf.com or at comics XF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of New Bat Books. For my other show, WMQA, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.